0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either. You are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. I'm not my best self right now. And I think it's important to talk about this part of my transition to Ghana Often when I tell people that I'm moving to Ghana, there's this expression of of surprise, like, oh, wow, like Ghana, like that's that's big. That's major. It is. It is. I try to put it in perspective is like I'm not the first or last American who will be moving to Ghana, but it's a big leap. And I think because it's my life and I know the ups and downs of it, the labor, um, the finances that have gone into this move, sometimes it doesn't seem so very impressive to me. I'm actually at a phase right now where I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm going, and I know I won't regret it when I get there. I've been talking to all my friends who are there, and they're like, girl, it's the best thing I've ever done. I know exactly where you are, but get on the plane. Come. I promise you, you'll be fine. It'll be great. It'll change your life. And I believe that. But I had mentally prepared myself to get on this plane, and I would go to Ghana. And that got delayed by two and a half weeks because of the movers. And so now I'm in a space that I didn't quite prepare for. And it's just too much time on the East Coast with too many thoughts in my head. And I'm just questioning my decision. One of my kind of regrets when I thought I was leaving on the 27th is that I wouldn't have a chance to make it to New York. I had reasoned to myself that it's for the best because if I go to New York... Essentially, that's that's what feels like home to me. I came of age in Maryland, but I became an adult in New York. Oh, God, am I going to cry again? Oh, I can't cry again. Not after last episode. Jesus. When I went to New York on Thursday, I caught up with Cousin Jason. We went to the Brooklyn Museum. It's one of the things that we often do when I go to the city if there's like a big exhibit. I asked him, he was driving, if he could take me by my old apartment. I heard my ex-husband doesn't live there anymore. Um, I just wanted to see the building for some reason. So I go to my old cross streets. And um, the first thing that stood out is there's a, a cutesy, like organic coffee shop on St. John's in Kingston, like the heart of Crown Heights. And not only is there this cutesy coffee shop, like this artisanal coffee shop, right? There's two white women sitting outside on laptops At the corner of St. John's and Kingston. And I was like, are you kidding me? They gentrified Crown Heights? I know I've been gone for five years. But I also remember like moving into that neighborhood in 2005. And it was essentially an open-air drug market. Like I would come home from work and I would know how good the package was of heroin, just so we're clear, by how far over the guys who were standing in front of the liquor store were bent over that day. And I would literally walk by and be like, woo, package was good today. If that sounds crazy, it, it was. But also, because I was like a working woman, if I was carrying bags from the train or groceries from the store, the local block hugger would send the runners to like carry my bags for me. Living in the hood, even though I had this dope apartment, living in the hood is just a fuck. Fast forward, and now there's like white women on laptops in the middle of Crown Heights. Total mind fuck. And then I go and see my old apartment And I'm standing outside the building. My blinds are still up. I could tell from outside. You ever go back to your high school after you graduated and everything that used to seem so normal or normal size suddenly seems so small? That's what it was like looking at my building. And I was just like, how did I live there? And I lived there for 15 years. My apartment was rent controlled. When I left in 2017, I think my rent was 1,300? 1,250? Here's a kicker. So I I lived in this three-story building. The bottom floor was a pharmacy. I lived above the pharmacy. There was another woman across the hall. And then on the top floor, the apartment was the size of my apartment and the woman across the hall. So they had the whole floor. That place was huge. My entire apartment was their living room, huge. There used to be an auto shop and a Seventh-day Adventist church in a building next to my building. I shared a wall with the top floor of the auto shop. So they raised the auto shop and the church and they built this seven-story building next to my three-story building. It looks so out of place. It towers over everything else on the block, which is a bunch of other short buildings. But it's this state-of-the-art luxury building. The affordable apartments in the building start at like 3250 for a one-bedroom. And I was like, in Crown Heights? Totally floored. That's the discounted rent, the hookup rent. You got to do the housing lottery to get that rent. For a regular bedroom? And I mean like a one-bedroom. It was like 4200 4700 something like that. But Jason and I stood on the block and we were talking about all the parties I used to throw at my house. I used to throw these backyard parties for my birthday every year. My party would be on Saturday and then the M.I.H. picnic would be in Prospect Park. So it was a weekend of festivities. That was those were good times, man. But Jason and I were standing on the block just like reminiscing about like all the shenanigans that used to go down at my house. I think I told you this. Like I liked being the stable friend. Like I loved that I could invite people in my house and they would automatically know where like the ketchup and the spoons were. And I told Jason, I was like, I feel like I'm living in a documentary about my life. I was like, we need to go somewhere else now. Like, I just, I feel weird. And then, like, I was walking by um, the bodega. Oh, God, now I feel like I'm about to cry again. I cannot cry this episode. I was walking by the bodega, and it's, like, my bodega. Like, it's four doors down from my apartment entrance. I, I walked in that bodega at all hours of the night, in all states of being. I knew the prayer schedule. I knew who would be there on what day. I knew who wasn't there for a long time. Be like, where's so-and-so? They'd be like, oh, he went back home. His grandmother was sick. I'm like, oh, okay. I really just wanted to stop in and see if my people would be there and see if they remembered me. I mean, maybe they did. I went in there like almost every day for 15 years. But then I was like, is that stupid? I like, guess New York, they see 50 million people. I made a point to say goodbye to my bodega man before I left, though. Like, I stopped in and I told him it would be my last day. And so there were a couple items that I always picked up from the bodega. I was picking them up one last time and he slid them back to me. And he told me it was on him. It was like $2 worth of stuff. One of them was a candy bar. Now I kind of wish I'd gone inside and said something. I didn't. I was already starting to feel like emotional. And then I was just like, if, if my bodega man is there, I'm going to lose it. Like I said, I'm not in the best of places, even though I had an amazing weekend. To the point that I'm recording this at Tuesday at 11.55. It's practically Wednesday. This podcast should have been up hours ago, and I'm just recording it. Had brunches, had lunches, had cocktails, like ran all over the city. Saw him every day. I see all my favorite people. (sighs) Hold on. Okay. And then I have to say goodbye to them. And I don't know when I'll see them again. And I know I won't be in Ghana forever. And FaceTime exists. I found out last time I was in Ghana that I can actually keep my phone on my 917 number just for an extra hundred dollars a month in Ghana and most of the other countries I'll be visiting. My phone works. AT&T actually has like one of the best world plans like ever, like 210 countries. And that's not an AT&T ad. That's just like I've had AT&T forever. Overall plan is kind of expensive, though, but it's worth it for me in this moment to only have to pay an extra hundred and be able to keep my American phone. I still have a second phone. I bought a Samsung, which my iPhone friends were like, what have you done? Telling people I was moving to Ghana didn't really like raise eyebrows at first. But when I bought a Samsung and I was like, oh, yeah, it's like, you know, my international phone. They were like, you did what? You bought a Samsung. Moving to Ghana, not so crazy. Buying a Samsung, fucking delusional. And it's a great phone. I actually really like it. I don't really know how to use it yet. But the camera and video, that's why I bought it. You go all the way to Africa, you can't have, you know. Fucked up pictures. But yeah, like the goodbyes are, you know, just starting to add up. There's just so many at once. I was leaving a party on Sunday night. It was a really good party. Like it was like everyday people for like people over 35. And I love everyday people. I spent good times at everyday people. But the last time I went to everyday people, I felt like the adult in the room. And I was like, it's time for me to find a new room. But I went to this um, was it Bring BK back? I think that's the name of the party. Really cute venue in Williamsburg, great DJ. But everybody in there looked grown, like men had beards with gray hair. And I was like, oh, okay, some grown people getting their lives, two-stepping, dancing. Nobody was twerking and backing it up. Folks had to go to work in the morning. Knees had to work. It was, it was a good time. Everybody's in here just like chilling and partying. But I was like, if you know who some of these folks are, it's actually a good room to connect and network. That's not what folks were there for. It was just a good Sunday night party. But it just hit me that night when I was saying my goodbyes to my friends. Like it wasn't just the like you know a double kiss. Hey girl, you know text me when you get in. Let me know you got home safe. It was I don't know when I'll see you, and it just sort of like wait on me. I had a girls brunch on Sunday before we went to the party. It was me and six of my friends. I didn't really even talk much. Like I just I was just happy to be present in the moment with people that like you know, are my faves. And I have faves that live in a crowd. not like I'm going to be out there by myself. But it's just, I don't know, the goodbyes. The goodbyes add up. I acted a plum donkey at the damn train station. Him took me to the train station. I boo-hooed like I was at a damn funeral. I cried so bad his shirt was stained with tears. I lost it. And he was like, stop it. Stop it. I will see you next week. He had to actually walk away and go so I would get on the train because I would have stood there and like held onto him like he was a statue. Got on the train, had to put my glasses on. I was crying so hard on the train. Nobody sat next to me though. I did get a window seat but cried from New York to Newark and like a baby. You know how babies cry so hard they just exhaust themselves and go to sleep and then woke up in Baltimore. I just, oh, I have so many feelings right now. So many feelings. <sighs> And then there's still so much to do. I don't know how I ever would have moved on the 27th. Like, I'm still ordering stuff. I figured out this morning that I'm going to have to take an extra suitcase. It's going to be five instead of four, which I really didn't want to do. Just the logistics of moving all this stuff from point A to point B when I get to Ghana. (sighs) It doesn't get any better anytime soon. I just have to get to the 10th. I think I might have to, like, stop seeing people. Because the more times I say goodbye, like it's it's starting to drive me nuts. I was with my friend earlier today, and she's the one of the most lovely, amazing people on the planet. Like I just I love her. We went and had a drink on the top of um of Union Market, and we just talked about life. And she prayed with me. But in her prayer, she just, you know, covered me. Ah, tears are coming. But she said something in the prayer and I'm going to butcher her words. Actually, she was praying. I was like, damn, I wish I would I'm sorry. That's a terrible thing to say, like talk about prayer and then say, damn, my bad. But she said something about cover Demetria when she's on her travels so that whoever she encounters. ah, Sees the you in her and knows that she is yours and responds accordingly. I just thought that was just a very beautiful sentiment. And then she also told me, she was like, yeah, you know, my dad's brother lives in Ghana. You good. (laughs) I love y'all. I swear I do. (sighs) She also gave me an amazing book idea for Ghana. I met with my literary agent when I was in New York. And she's been my lit agent for like three years at this point. And I tell her all the time, and I was like, I know I drive you crazy. I know you must be annoyed because there is no book. I know the title of the book I want to write, and it, it, it applies to so much. But I don't know exactly what I want to talk about. It keeps changing. And I think it's because there's so many thoughts in my head. I just can't pin it down. But I'm like, this is my third book. Like, it needs to be like, you know, my magnum opus. And she's like, or it could just be a book. You've got time. You could write more books. And one of those could be your magnum opus. I was like, why don't you just tell me what to write and I'll just write that? And she's like, w- would that be inspired? And she was like, when it comes to you, you'll know. You'll tell me. And I'm like, I don't work that way. I need you to tell me. And she's like, no. Lovely woman. Absolutely lovely woman. Known her for years. First time I met her in person, which I had no reaction to. I was like, oh, hey, that's you in the flesh. It's nice to see you. I don't know what she thinks about everything. I didn't know exactly what she looked like, but I know how she thinks. So I know her, you know? Hey, why don't you help me out here? What do you want me to write about? Him says I should write my travel adventures. He was like, how about we refrain from last week's episode? How about we don't tell a bunch of horror stories? But why don't we have moments about, you know, living, discovering, humorous moments? Those exist, yes? you I want to read a travel narrative? I could write one of those even before I get to Ghana. There are, are many stories to be told. Many drunken and unexpected adventures. A fear of being abducted in Morocco. The gigolo masseuse in Brazil. I didn't get the happy ending. The hamam ma'am in Istanbul. When I really thought I was about to ask that 60-year-old lady to marry me. And then I realized like the way I've been cleaning myself like is it's inept. If you ain't being scrubbed down at a hamam, you're really filthy. A loofah doesn't really do the job you think it does. Like, there was so much dirt on me. And I was like, I just took a shower before I came here. I am clean, but not. The time I tried to hug an ostrich, <laughs> it sounds so stupid in retrospect. Okay, there are stories. There are stories to be told. But if you would like to suggest things that I should write a book about, because I feel like while I'm in Ghana, I should probably write a book. Please share. I'm, I've, I've got 50 million ideas. I just, I can't narrow it down.
0: or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. Which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's angi.com.
1: Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the
0: franchise.
1: What a wonderful day!
0: It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible.
1: I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. I'm looking at this list. Oh, my God. And good black news for some. It will amuse me. Kevin Gates is going to be on The Breakfast Club in the morning. By the time you hear this, the interview should have already aired. You know how The Breakfast Club has people who are doing the interviews? They stand in front of The Breakfast Club sign. And they're like, tune in tomorrow to The Breakfast Club to hear me. Something about the way Kevin Gates smiled at the end of that promo. I was like, here we go. It's about to be quotables for days. We still ain't doing no full review of Carisha please. Do we need one? I feel like I talk about Kevin Gates on every episode. He slips in some way, somehow in every episode. I feel like I've inadvertently covered most of that interview in some way or another. Viola Davis's show with the First Lady, she was an executive producer on that show. It's not coming back. The show was called The First Lady. It was on Showtime. It was an anthology. Viola Davis, if you recall, played Michelle Obama, and she did that terrible lip thing. Well, the show is being canceled by Showtime, so there will be no more tales of additional first ladies. Womp I'm not going to be a dead horse because I feel like every time Biola Davis's name comes up, we talk about the anthology. And I would just like to pretend it didn't happen. The Woman King comes out in September. I'm ready for Biola's new chapter love the trailer for The Woman King and I love the Viola. I would love to support the Viola and I want to say positive and lovely and wonderful things about the Viola. So I'm very much looking forward to The Woman King. I really, really, really want to see this film. If someone from Sony is listening, I would really, really, really love a screener for this film. If it is possible, please and thank you. What else is going on? Oh, okay. Okay. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Joe Manga, you know I'm about to butcher this man's name. The Wolf from True Blood. I'm gonna try again. Manga, Manganiello, Joe Manganiello. I don't think that's right either. Okay, stay with me. The Wolf from True Blood. I know this is about 10 years back for a lot of people, if not more, True Blood went off the air a long time ago. I'll put a picture of him in my IG stories. The wolf. He's 6'5". The last name is Italian. You would think Sicilian. You would think Sicilian if you see him. Because he has like an olivey complexion. The first time I saw him on screen. I was like. He got black man energy. He just. He moves like a black dude. Like he must grew up around black people. Black friends. Like he looks very black adjacent. Turns out. He's kind of, sort of, I think he's like Octoroon Black. Like his grandfather was half Black. I don't know if that makes him, I don't know if that makes him one-eighth. I was really good at math, but I can't do that fraction in my head. It's less than one-eighth. But whatever it was, whatever that less than one-eighth did, it came down two generations and hopped into him because he has color. His last name, this Italian last name that he has, not his name. His grandmother apparently stepped out on his grandfather. Two of the other children may be the father's children, but the last boy, Joe's grandfather, the husband of the grandmother, the one he grew up thinking was his grandfather, who has the Italian last name. That is not Joe's biological grandfather. It's a half-black man who may or may not be living, from what I've been reading. But Joe went on finding your roots And he thought he was going to chase back to somewhere in Italy. Lo and behold, he going to find his people somewhere in Africa. I'm reading this on BET.com. It says Joe appeared on the PBS show Finding Your Roots. It's hosted by Henry Louis Gates. And according to Gates, Joe's distant relative, this black man, still reading on BET.com. Joe discovered his distant relative joined the Continental Army and fought alongside other blacks. For the colonies against the British in units that were non-segregated. So I was like, oh, okay. You got a whole black hero in your family. Do we want to talk about this Nicki Minaj leak? I genuinely don't care. It's just all over the blogs. Nicki Minaj allegedly fired her former assistant because she accused her of stealing money essentially. So this person used a fake name and pulled an image of a white woman from Google Images and put an Instagram together and did a series of stories spilling all this alleged tea about Nicki Minaj. And it was everything from fake beasts with Mariah Carey money she owes to the IRS, stuff about her husband, basically that, you know, Nikki knew he'd been accused of rape, didn't care, which I think everyone had kind of concluded. The public knew when she was dating him about his rape conviction, not accusation, but rape conviction time served for rape, which means she knew and she married him anyway. So that reads pretty much as doesn't care to me. She posted a phone number that allegedly belonged to Nikki. It was supposed to be the one that she had used to harass the woman that her husband raped, that was we was convicted of raping, Jennifer. She had done some talk show and interview rounds about a year or so ago. It was a bunch of stuff about Nikki. And then she took questions, audience questions, for lack of a better word. So people were asking her stuff about like the release date for Nikki's next album, beefs that she had with other entertainers. Um, apparently there's a Rihanna collaboration coming. Beyonce and Jay-Z don't rock with her anymore because of the situation with her husband. It was a bunch of stuff. Like, I I swiped through all of the slides, like, looking for some, you know, piping, bubbling hot tea, like, you know, triple pour spill. I was like, you the assistant, you should know where all the bodies are buried. Nothing really stood out as exceptionally exciting to me. I have nothing against Nicki or, or her music or anything like that. Like, barbs don't come for me. I just... I just have nothing invested in Nikki. Like, she cool. She all right. She's entertaining. That's all I got. So it's like, I don't have anything invested to be like, oh, girl. Also, also, I don't know if anything in, in that whole list of what was shared, nothing stands out to me that's more, I don't know, interesting, titillating, scandalous, triple poor than what's been reported on actual news sites. You marrying... A convicted rapist and sex offender—it—it—it's it, pretty hard to top that. Like, there's not a lot of tea that tops that. Like, and and that's facts. That's not that's not speculation. That's like we've seen court records. Like, you moved to California, and your husband didn't register as a sex offender, and there were all these lawyers involved because you were trying to keep him out of jail. That's facts. Again, I don't know what trumps that. I'm reading on the Hill right now just to make sure I got my facts straight. In July. Her husband was sentenced to a year of home confinement and three years probation for failing to register as a sex offender. What T tops that? The the quote-unquote assistant did say something about Nikki's husband being abusive. I'm literally recapping what the the quote-unquote assistant said in all of these slides. That is an allegation that is unsubstantiated. I want to be clear. I do not want to be sued by Nicki Minaj being abused by her husband, that would be pretty up there with, with your husband being a convicted rapist. I'm moving I'm moving back to something else. Nicki Minaj's husband, Kenneth Petty is his name. He does have a name. If he's on house arrest, that's what confined to the home means. Does he have to wear one of them little ankle bracelet things to make sure he's at home at a certain time or to make sure he is where he says he is? Does he have to wear an ankle monitor? I, I just... I hope that's not the case. I hope that's not the case. This new Nicki album, I'll give it a listen. Nicki impressed the hell out of me on Monster. I will always give Nicki Minaj a chance to see if she'll top that or equal that. She could really just equal that and blow everybody else out. I'd like to hear it. I think it's worth noting that Nicki Minaj has said all of this is ridiculous and lies. I think the actual word she used repeatedly was dumb she did a live video with half her makeup on because it was that serious to address it like immediately because the story about the assistant is everywhere. And she was like, not only are the accusations dumb, the people who believe them must be dumb. I thought it was interesting. She kept using the word dumb. That was like the standout word that Remy put on the diss track towards Nikki. Like, are you dumb? That's the thing that everybody used to quote. But Nikki says, absolutely none of this shit is true. It's ridiculous. She says people have been trying to get rid of her forever. She was like, there's whole staff meetings of people plotting on how to get rid of Nicki Minaj, but she's not going anywhere. I feel like there's something else I'm supposed to mention right now that directly ties into Nicki Minaj. Nicki Minaj, Kenneth Petty, rape. Mystical. Mystical has been arrested for rape again. This is his third time. I read that he was arrested on Sunday His full list of charges includes first degree rape, simple robbery, domestic abuse, battery, false imprisonment and simple criminal damage to property. I'm reading a series of tweets that Brandy B. Harris posted. She writes that arrest documents say while at his Prairieville home, Mystical accused an ex dating partner of stealing one hundred dollars before punching her, pulling braids out of her hair taking her keys and phone to prevent her from leaving. Then he allegedly raped her. They go, what? Over $100? What the fuck is wrong with you? Allegedly. Allegedly. He's not been convicted. But again, this is the third time he's been arrested for rape. I wonder how many people he's actually raped. Allegedly. You've been arrested for rape three different times? That sounds to me like a raping rapist who raped. And I wonder how many people he's done that to that didn't call the police on him. Three women called the police? There's so many more women that didn't. I guarantee you that. Man, sound like he got problems. I did read. Let me look that up. Mystical rape arrest. Okay, CNN. Jail records show that the rapper remains in custody. That was 9.26 p.m. on Monday. That's yesterday. Do we have new news? No, everything that I see reported is from a day ago. I'm reading Vulture right now. Michael Taylor, Mystical's real name, arrested on July 31st. Vulture has the charges as first degree rape, false imprisonment, domestic abuse, battery and strangulation, and robbery and damage to property. Okay, Vulture has more details. They say, according to the sheriff's warrant, the victim accused the rapper of sexually assaulting her and becoming violent, beating her and pulling her braids before apologizing and asking that they pray together. He had her kneel with him beside his bed as they prayed for a few minutes. Did he, he raped this woman and then prayed with her, or he prayed with her and then raped her? Ooh. Vulture notes the rapper has been accused of sexual assault multiple times since the early aughts, 2000s. In 2017, he spent 18 months in jail on rape and kidnapping charges before being released on a $3 million bond. The charges were eventually dropped after the grand jury refused to bring an indictment. He also served six years in prison after pleading guilty to sexual battery and extortion In 2003, at the time, he was accused of forcing his hairstylist to perform sexual acts on him and his bodyguard. I'm sorry. Back up. He was accused of forcing his hairstylist to perform sexual acts on him and his bodyguards on video after he accused her of stealing money from him. Oh, so that's his M.O., He accuses women of stealing money from him and then he rapes them as punishment. Vulture notes that in April 2021, mystical talked about his prior assault allegations, admitting that at least one of these sexual encounters did occur in 2016, but he said it was consensual. According to police reports, a woman accused mystical of giving her drinks that led her to lose consciousness. DNA evidence showed despite his claims of innocence at the time, he did have an intimate encounter with her. Okay. Vulture notes that as of August 1st, that would be yesterday, that would be Tuesday, Mystical has been booked and is being held in Ascension Parish Jail without bond. He is already listed as a registered sex offender in Louisiana. You know how I always say multiple people accusing you of the same shit. You did that shit. Allegedly. <sighs> Do we, we don't have no good news. We need to cleanse the palate. Here we go. Here we go. There's um, Did you see Drink Champs? Noriega Drink Champs? With Patti LaBelle? He was so excited to have Patti LaBelle on. I've watched several episodes of Drink Champs. I started watching, I think, when he interviewed was it Kanye West? I think that was the first one I tuned into. Like I knew what Drink Champs was, but I just never I never paid much attention to it. I don't even think I ever made it through that Kanye West interview. That thing went on forever. But I did tune in to see Miss Patty cuz I was like what is Miss Patty doing on Drink Champs? And then I saw the um, the teaser for it and Patty was talking about how she don't smoke no reefer and I was like, "Oh lord, here we go. Here we go. Patty LaBelle is a good time." Patty was a gem on Drink Champs. I watched the entire two-hour interview in in segments. I haven't had two hours to myself to focus on anything in, in weeks. But I was twisting my hair one day, and I watched it. And then I had to twist my hair another day and watched it. It was really good. Patty has so many stories. I feel like every time Noriega brought somebody up, he was like, DMX. And Patty was like, oh, yeah, I've worked with him. Teddy Pendergrass, I got a story about him. Diana Ross, she had many Diana Ross stories. She told the story about why she and Diana Ross had beef, which I didn't even know they had beef. Like, I didn't know there was a thing. But she was like, oh, yeah, we didn't get along. And then she told the backstory. It started off as being about outfits. But then Cindy Birdsong, who was one of the Supremes, used to be one of the Bluebells. And Diana Ross stole Cindy. And Diana Ross stole Cindy from Patty's group. And Patty felt a way about it because it wasn't handled the right way. But then she and Diana have since reconciled and are cool. Nori asked her about Aretha. They said, you know, what was going on with you and Aretha? So remember there was a clip where Aretha was performing at the White House and she was coming in and Patty tried to speak to her and it looked like Aretha snubbed her. And Patty was like, no, 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 no. Aretha was one of my good friends. We had no we had no issues. She said Aretha had called her. Aretha wanted to get food in Walmart like Patty had. And she called Patty and asked about her deal and how she got it done. She said Aretha was very tired When she was at the White House, she said, that wasn't about me. She was just tired that day, but they were good. She said, Luther, she first met Luther. He came to the hotel she was staying at. It was one of her earlier groups. She told this story about how Luther Vandross, who was like nobody at the time. He wasn't like Luther Vandross TM. But she said he came to her hotel with outfits, with clothes. And she said that she and the girls had no money. They had no budget for wardrobe. And so she was like, I was just happy, you know, he had free clothes. But he came upstairs with the clothes, he said he wanted to be the president of their fan club. She said, we didn't have a fan club. She was more interested in the clothes than she was for the fan club. And she said he mentioned that he sang. And she said she just took him at his word that he sang. She was like, she didn't know he could sing like that. And so Nori was like, wait, Luther Vandross was buying you clothes? And she was like, no, he stole them. I was like, not out here telling people Luther Vandross was a booster back in the day. Patty, Patty. She had so many stories. Like, I mean, it was two hours worth of nonstop stories. She had a story about everybody. It was really fun to watch. Like, she was really happy to be there. And Noriega, he's an interesting interviewer. He he over-talks a lot of people. I think that's a common criticism. But the thing that strikes me about it, why it doesn't drive me crazy, because it does sometimes when I see other interviewers do it. I'm like, God damn it, the person you brought to interview, let them talk. It's their turn. But he's so excited. By his guests, the man really does like his job. He really does. You can hear his enthusiasm and his interest in the subject matter, at least for the people that I've watched. And I've only watched Kanye West, Patti LaBelle, and then after Patti went off today, I was watching Tank, which was also really good. But he's really just enthusiastic about his guests. And so even when he over-talks and when he rambles and when he skips around with a line of questioning, it doesn't really bother me. You ever see people who just enjoy their work and because they enjoy it, it makes you enjoy it as well because they're just happy and like in their purpose. I kind of feel that when I'm watching Nori. He's so happy and joyful about what he's doing that I'm just like, I'm happy. I'm just happy. I'm happy watching him. Like his joy is kind of infectious. But he was so happy to have Patty LaBelle. When he was introducing her, Patty couldn't even get the word in edgewise to be like, Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Like she had to stop him and cut him off and be like, "Can I say something?" Cuz he kept just gushing and gushing and going on and on and she just wanted to say, "I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Don't do nothing different cuz I'm here. Like smoke your reefer and and do your thing. Don't change anything up for me." He was so happy. And also, I thought it was really good to give Patty Labelle her flowers. She said many times in the interview, she was like, "You know, I'm 79." I don't have health problems. Like, she has her diabetes, but it's being managed. But she's in good health. She looks good. She sounds good. She forgot, like, a lot of details, like, song titles and things like that. But I was like, when you got, like, I don't know, what, like, 200 songs? Or, like, I don't know, 40, 50 albums? Like, you might might forget some titles here and there. When she was talking about some of her Walmart stuff, like, she didn't know, like, all the dates and names of things. But when she would tell stories, all the people she cooked for, Elton John, Nina Simone... I'm like, who weren't you friends with, Patty? Oh my God, Stevie Wonder, (laughs) Nori. You know she knows Stevie Wonder personally. And Nori asked her, I can't remember who it was. He said somebody was on the show and said they saw Stevie Wonder driving, (laughs) and Patty was like, "Shut up, shut up." (laughs) It was so stupid. But when she would tell her stories, they were clear as day. Whole conversations. She could tell you where they were, what country they were, what folks were wearing, like who all was in the room. She was just amazing. She's a really lovely woman. And I really loved how Nori gushed over her to let her know how much she is loved and is appreciated. He kept saying over and over. He was like, we we invited you on the show. We really didn't think you were going to come. Like until you actually got out the car and got here, we were like, is she coming? Is she coming? Is Patty LaBelle actually coming? Um, he brought his mother to the filming because she was so excited. Cause I mean, obviously, like, you know, Nori's a man of a certain age with a black mom. Your mom loves Patty LaBelle. Everybody's black mom loves Patty LaBelle. Hell, most people's white moms love Patty LaBelle. I love Patty LaBelle. I ain't nobody's mother. If you have a chance, if you have two hours of free time, or just clear somewhere in your schedule, an hour here and an hour there to watch the interview. It was really, really good. It was worthwhile. It was amusing all the way through. Patty is just just a national treasure of human. Just very grateful and very gracious. And like, it just loves to cook for people. We were like, Patty, how you doing all this cooking on the road? She was like, oh, I bring my hot plates. I was like, ma'am, I know full and hell well you're not sitting up in somebody's hotel suite with hot plates cooking. Yeah, she is. She was like, oh yeah. She either said her makeup artist or her hairdresser goes out to the farmer's market, wherever they are, and gets like fresh food. And Patty just be in there cooking. She said she has a whole trunk where she travels with her pots and pans and plates and utensils and all of that. And I was like, oh, oh, she's like, I just love to cook. She was like, I cook everything for 20 people. I want everybody to have seconds and take things home. And I was like, yes, yes, yes. I will never be that kind of woman, but I always want to be in the presence of that kind of woman. What else do we have on this list? I feel like this episode is running long. Whoopi and Sunny on the View—they got into a little spat. They get into a spat every day. It was fine. Nobody's like feelings were hurt or anything. It wasn't great harm. They talked about. Remember the guy we talked about last week? They wrote the um the open letter to his fiance. I couldn't figure out like what their situation was, whether it was fiance or wife. I just knew there was a ring involved, but the woman is his fiance. But he wrote this open letter to her where he talked about how she wasn't the most beautiful woman. She wasn't the most intelligent woman, but she was the woman he didn't say settled for, but it's kind of what he meant. She was the woman that he had chosen to be with. And the idea behind this sentiment was he was being practical about love. The letter had gone super viral, hence why it ended up being discussed on The View. And Whoopi's take on it was she had no issues with it. She was like, people need to be honest with themselves. You're not the most beautiful person in the world. You're not the most attractive person in the world. You're not the smartest person in the world. Like, Basically, get over yourselves. And Sunny was like, no, 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 no. Like, lie to me. Lie to me. Tell me I'm the most beautiful. Tell me I'm I'm the most intelligent. Tell me small lies. You're my person. You should be making me feel like I'm the most special person in the world, at least to you. I shared my opinion on this last week, which I thought that dude was trash. And Sunny was like, I hate him. She said it multiple times. Like, I hate him. I agree with her on that. I think this woman should pack her pussy and go. And I'm very concerned for how this man speaks to her behind closed doors. If this is the kind of way he speaks about her in public. But I don't agree with Whoopi and Sonny on either of their takes. I think there's a big, vast gray area between being brutally honest with someone. Harmful, really. I don't know where people got this idea that being brutally honest with someone is necessary. You can be honest without being hurtful and harmful and without diminishing your person, your partner, your fiance, your spouse in a public forum. It's it's just not necessary. But I also don't think it's necessary to lie to people. I don't think you have to run around telling your spouse, you're the most beautiful person I've ever seen, or you're the the smartest person I've ever seen, or, or whatever superlative I've ever seen. I don't think that's necessary. But I think there's a vast gray area where you can be honest about your person And not be disparaging about your person. I think that's the thing that bothered me the most about that. It's like he says she's not the most beautiful and she's not the most intelligent. But he never said what she was. Like he's giving all these definitions by negation. So here's where the bar is and here's where you don't meet it. But he never said like what he actually liked about her. I wrote about this on Facebook earlier today, even though I'd already addressed it on here just because it's something that came up on The View and people started talking about it again. And I was like, if if as your partner, you find it difficult to say nice things about me, it's a struggle for you to say that I am beautiful or I am intelligent or or anything else nice about me. Like if you can't form very basic sentences that say, you know, essentially that you like me or you like things about me, if it's really a struggle for you, if it's really that difficult for you to do, you don't need to be my partner. I saw somebody else say, and they were like, look, at the end of the day, all that really matters is how this woman feels about what this man said. And apparently she got on a podcast and she said at first, she was like, what? Once it was explained, I was okay with it. And I was like, girl, go with your first mind. Your, your gut and your common sense are trying to tell you something. Because this woman sitting out here, a whole cutie pie, letting some man who who ain't, who ain't that cute, just keep him 100. He ain't that cute. Whole cutie pie, letting a man who ain't that cute get on Al Green's internet and tell the world she's not the most beautiful and she's not the most intelligent. Sis, girl, 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 look at you. You could easily go find somebody. Or you could easily be alone and be better off than this. girl. I want to talk about this Beyonce and Khalees situation. I'm still not exactly sure what just happened. Beyonce released her album, or right before Beyonce released her album, before we could hear the tracks, she either released or it was leaked the names of the songs and who was credited on them. And one of the people credited on a song called Energy was Khalees. And from what I read, Khalees' son is the one who told her hey mom, you're listed on this Beyonce album. Khalees, like several other contributors on this Beyonce album, Robin S being one of them, weren't informed that they were featured on the album. Before the song came out, Khalees found out that she'd been credited. She responded on a couple blog sites that she was unhappy that she was featured on the album. And then she did two videos saying that Pharrell had ripped her off, had taken credit for songs that he didn't write and excluded her from those songs. She was upset that Beyonce didn't give her a heads up. She said she felt like her music had been stolen. She went off on Pharrell. She said Chad, who is Pharrell's producing partner. What did she say? Something like he's so spineless. I'm surprised he can hold his head up. Or was it he had no backbone? It was something along those lines. But Kalis was 38 hot that she had been she. Her song had been included. She said she wrote and contributed to the song. She wasn't credited by Pharrell. She was upset, one, that she didn't get her just due from Pharrell back in the day. This is something that she said before. So this is not something that's popping up out the blue. And additionally, she was upset with Beyonce for not giving her a heads up. So Kalis spoke her piece, I thought Khalees should have at least gotten a phone call. Also, initially, the reports were, I can't remember the name of the song that was supposed to have been sampled. It wasn't Milkshake, which is Khalees' most popular song. I love that song. I love Khalees, just in general. But Milkshake's not my favorite song, actually. You know what my favorite Khalees song is? In the Morning. It's a mix between In the Morning and Millionaire when I tell you I love Khalees I love Khalees that's not the point 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 is there was a sample from the song there was a question at the time whether it used Khalees's voice or not or if it was just a drum that Pharrell created then the album comes out in fact it's not the song that people thought it was it actually is milkshake because originally people were listening for this other song and they were like I can't hear it like what are you talking about And then I saw a video some producer made and was like, okay, here's the song. And then here's the clip from Milkshake. Like, it's not the other song. It's actually the drums from Milkshake that are mixed around. And then apparently you could hear like the la la, la la, la. I never heard it. That's what I read, though, is that you could hear the la la la. And then earlier today or Tuesday, reports came out, had pulled Khalees from the album, from the album credits, and also had changed the song. To remove the la-la-la-la-la. So Khalees is no longer included in any way, form, fashion whatsoever. Which is one way to handle the situation. I said, I said, when I wrote about this, on the same day that Khalees was like, nobody called me. Beyonce stole from me. Pharrell stole from me. The same day she was upset. I was like, yo, somebody should have called this woman. Somebody. Do you hear my words? Somebody. I specifically, and I wrote this, so this is not me saying it. It, it. Actually, if I said it, you could go back and listen to it. I wrote, somebody should have called Khalees. Let me be accurate. Somebody should have called this lady. And I said, Beyonce, Pharrell, Chad, somebody. Somebody. Right? I listed three people and then added another somebody. I think I put it in all caps. But people were like, you're saying Beyonce should have called her. I, 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 I. I said, somebody Should have called her. People were like, "Well, why? Call her for what?" It's five seconds. You can't even hear her voice. It's some drums that Pharrell did. She doesn't own the master. She didn't take care of this, that, and the third. Milkshake is Khaleesi's most popular hit. It is and was a cultural phenomenon. It's been featured in multiple commercials. It's a staple. It's a cultural staple, at least for Black folks. Black folks know milkshake and they know Khaleesi. People like Gen Z. Gen Z don't know nothing about that. Beyonce ain't Gen Z. Beyonce's a millennial. Millennials know who Khalees is. Stop it. She's a popular enough artist that people know her song. Even if she didn't write the song, even if she didn't compose the song, even if she didn't produce the song, when you hear Milkshake, you don't think of Pharrell, you think of Khalees. Just a heads up. Hey, we're using your song on the Beyonce album. That's it. I said that. Folks act like I was suggesting that Beyonce, all they heard was Beyonce. I specifically said somebody, Beyonce, Chad, Pharrell. All people heard was Beyonce. Folks act like I said Beyonce specifically should pay this woman, should give Khalees her firstborn, either that or an arm or a leg. I said none of those things. I said somebody, Beyonce, Pharrell or Chad should have called or somebody. Should have called Khalees. Just a heads up. A common courtesy. Hey, this is what we're doing. Just wanted you to hear it from us. Okay. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye now. That's it. That's it. A phone call. A voice note. A text. Hell, send a courier pigeon or a fucking raven. Somebody should have said something to this woman. Because if they had, you could have avoided all this drama that's been dominating the internet for the last four days. I can't scroll through my goddamn timeline on Facebook without somebody talking about Khalees and Beyonce. It's serious, but it's not that serious. Y'all acting like Khalees slapped Beyonce at the Oscars. Come on, people. Come on. Come on. But Khalees has been removed from the album. Some folks said it was petty, which it could have been. Some folks were like, Khalees fucked up because she could have got a bag off this. I don't think Khalees cares. I hate to break it to some people. There are more important things sometimes than money, especially when you're not hurting for it. The woman has a healthy career. She still performs on the side. That's the side hustle. Her nine to five, she got a whole damn farm with like like chickens and shit. That's her bread and butter. I don't really think Khalees cares that much about the money or the glow up or the look of it all. I, I hate to break it to people. And I know it's very difficult, especially for the American audience that's listening Everyone is not a hyper-capitalist. You would like to believe that everyone is motivated by money. They aren't. People are like, oh, she could have got the bag. She's fucking it up. She could have had a second win for her career. Did Khalees ever say she wanted any of those things? Or those things that you would want so you think Khalees would want them too? I'm asking. I'm genuinely asking. There's been much conversation about, well, why didn't Khalees go get her master's? You realize that's really hard to do, Right? Anita Baker just got her masters back. Anita freaking Baker. The Beatles didn't even own their masters. You know who did? Michael Jackson. It's really, really hard to get your masters. A lot of people don't own their masters. Like, people say it like it's such a common thing. Like, well, why didn't she just go get her masters? Maybe they're not for sale. And maybe she's tried to get them. Maybe because of the beef between she and Pharrell, she's just like, fuck that nigga, I'm not asking you for shit. Just is that at all possible? Is it? Khalees is off the album. Like I said, some people say Beyonce was petty for doing it. I can see that line of thought. I've seen other people say Beyonce was just sick of this shit and was like, I ain't got nothing to do with this. This, this beef is really between you and Pharrell, and I'm, I'm not getting in the middle of it. So I'm just taking you off. How about that? You're unhappy that you were listed. You're unhappy that your song was on there. We can solve this. I'm just going to take it off. I'm not in the middle of this shit. Work it out between yourselves. I can see that logic too. You know what else I could have seen solving this? A phone call. A phone call. We talked about this with D.O. Hughley and Monique. Monique went on stage and cursed D.O. Hughley out after D.O. Hughley had a goddamn meltdown backstage, according to Monique, which D.O. Hughley never denied. Like He was like, no, in my contract, it says I am the headliner. I'm closing the show. And if she thinks she's closing the show, if that's what she's going to do, then I'm not going out. Dio Hughley has never disputed that. And it sounds logical because he was like, in my contract, it says I'm the headliner. If the two of them had just taken a pause, taken a beat, had a conversation, they would have found out that the beef that they have with each other isn't really beef. The beef is with the promoter who seemed to have promised both of them the same thing in order to get them to do this show. Perhaps this is another one of those situations. If somebody had made a damn phone call, maybe that was somebody giving Kalisa a call. And saying, hey, sis, this is what we're working on. This is what we're doing. Just wanted to give you a heads up. Maybe it could have been Khalees calling somebody. I'm not saying Beyonce. I'm not saying Pharrell. I'm not saying Chad Hugo. I'm saying somebody. Had she called somebody and maybe gotten some clarification, then maybe we wouldn't be here. Maybe we could have resolved this in a nicer manner. That wasn't possible. No phone calls, apparently. At least that the public is privy to. We don't know about behind the scenes at this point in time sure beyonce will add a lyric about it on an album or a remix in the future remember we didn't hear nothing when jay-z solange and beyonce well beyonce didn't fight beyonce stood there like a robot and fixed her dress which was completely on brand completely on brand but the elevator situation when solange was kicking at jay-z completely on brand and jay-z was defending himself but didn't fight back completely on brand Nobody's brand was damaged that day. Completely on brand for everybody in the elevator. But Beyonce didn't say a word about it when it happened. And then later she addressed it. She says a billion dollars going down on the elevator. Things happen. Maybe she'll address the Khalees situation at a later date. It won't be in an interview. We know that for sure. She'll put it in the music. If she ever does. She she might not. We'll see. I feel like we have a very lengthy podcast today. So I'm going to call it a wrap. I'll be up half the night editing. Hopefully this will be up on Wednesday morning. All of y'all listening know that I am in transition on an intercontinental move. I'm trying to get back on track once I get to Ghana and get settled in. But until then, you'll get your podcast. It's just not going to be on time. I'll get it in as close to on time as possible. But otherwise, give up that fantasy, at least until September. Let that go. Let that go. All right, y'all. We will talk again later this week. All right. Bye.